us, you can turn your Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16. Uh, we're looking at, in a sense, the keys of the kingdom this morning and seeing how it plays out in, our, in the church. So Matthew 16. Rick Cohen was a, a writer for the Rolling Stone magazine. Uh, he was, uh, uh, had been hired by them. He was kind of looking for an assignment. And uh, uh, one summer he got told to um, tour with the Rolling Stones, the, the, the group. And uh, this was in the late 70s. And uh, so he, uh, you know, kind of got... The dream job of a lifetime, right? Reporting on the Rolling Stone by touring with them, writing what's going on, reporting on, on the music, etc. And uh, he, he wrote a book on it later on in 2017 called The Sun and the Moon and the Rolling Stones. And he starts off the book kind of just telling how he got into the job and uh, kind of, you know, uh, for, for if you're younger, you might not want to know who the Rolling Stones are. <laughs> And two, you might not know, uh, back, back in the day, right, the, the groups were just, they were, they were treated more like gods almost, right? They, these rock stars who just traveled around doing concerts, doing, doing things, and, and they were just huge in the, the world of uh, entertainment, the world of um, music. And uh, so he, he, he's talking about it, and, he, and at one point in his, in his first chapter, he gets into this description, he's like, hey... This guy is telling a joke, and everybody's laughing, and I'm a part of this. And he's like, I realized at that moment that, like, this was what I had been waiting for all my life, to be part of this group of people who, who, who kind of, well, this is where the party's at. You know, you're always looking over your shoulder, you're always looking over your eyes, and like, where's the party? Where's all the fun happening? Because it's not happening right here, you know what I mean? And, and he's, he's saying... I was always looking for that, that, that like, where, where's the party? Where's, where's, where, where do I need to be at? And he's like, I realized that this was where the party was at. Like, I finally arrived. And he said, a few minutes later, he realized that uh, he'd arrived, but uh, the party had actually happened, like, 10 years ago, because all these guys were old now. You know what I mean? Like, he's like... The party's changed. It's it's. I, I missed the peak, and uh, and uh, and everything's. Uh, I didn't get to be a part of the real party. Um, when it comes to Christianity, right? Jesus comes into the world, and he says something totally different. In a sense, he says the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Finally, what Israel's waiting for is is going to arrive. And they're, they're, what they've been waiting for, what they've been looking, in a sense, over the horizon for, the party that they've been looking for, is, is, is here or very close at hand. And they're all excited about it. And yet Jesus says that he is the test of the kingdom. And you're like, do you receive me? And in Matthew 16, at the start of the chapter, the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees come to him and like, well, if you're really the start of the party, then prove it, right? Give us a sign. And he's like, like, you don't understand, one. And two, if you want a sign, then the sign of Jonah will be given to you. That, you know, 
you know, just as three days, Jonas is three days in the belly of the whale, so the Son of Man will rise from the dead in three days, and they, they don't like that answer. The disciples kind of, the, he, he turns to the disciples in Matthew 16, and he says, hey, uh, you know, don't, beware of the leaven of the Sadducees and Pharisees, and they're like, oh, oh, we, we messed up, we, we forgot to get bread, you know, um, and, and so we messed up. And, and sometimes as believers, we, we get caught up and we, we, we miss the fact that the king has arrived and we get, get caught up in all the ways we're supposedly messing up. And Jesus wants to refocus them in Matthew 16. And so he asks them, who do you say that I am? Because in, in the process of kind of what it means to be a Christian, we, we have to understand this in the sense there's, there's two parts to this confession, like what are we looking forward to, and then who does it involve? Think of Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 8, right, where he, uh, the writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out, not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promises in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to that city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. It's like Abraham was looking forward. He was saying that there's something to look forward to that's not here right now, but it's also not something that man can produce. Hebrews 11 goes on in verse 13 to say, These all died in faith, not having received the promises. But having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth, for people who speak thus make it clear they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had an opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. Therefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. And as Christians, we, we have this this belief, this hope, this confession that we're, we're looking forward to a city, a, a kingdom whose builder and foundations is God. That he has, has made it, it's his. And at the same time, the way that we get there is also part of the confession. And that's what Jesus in Matthew 16 is highlighting. Notice, if you will, Matthew 16 and verse 15, right? If you follow along in your Bibles, Matthew 16, verse 15, he said to them, Who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. So here we have, just point number one is, confessing Christ leads to salvation. Jesus is saying, look, like this confession that you're making, he makes a play on words here. He says, I tell you, you are Peter. In, in, uh, in Greek, it's, so they're mostly, Aram they're speaking Aramaic, but in Greek, uh, Peter, or Petros, is a stone, right? But then he says, on this on this Petra, I will build my church. So he's, he's, he's using this plan where it's about a rock. And he says, on this rock, I will build my church. 
and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Well, what is this rock? Obviously, the Roman Catholic Church says it's the Pope system. It's Peter and the Pope system. But as you look at it closer, you realize that he's saying that this confession, this truth that you're, uh, uh, that you're acknowledging that Christ is the Son of the living God is what Jesus is building his church on, in a sense, himself and the confession of it. And we see that throughout the Gospels, right? That Jesus is challenging the, the, the religious system repeatedly, saying, you know, it's not just a matter of keeping the rules, it's acknowledging who the king is. Who is the son of the living God? Who is the Messiah? And confessing Christ leads to salvation. We can see that in other places. For instance, um, in uh, Romans 10, verse 9, he says, because... Paul acknowledges, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame, for there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, quoting from the Old Testament there, to say, and saying this is the the same thing that was said in the Old Testament is being repeated in the New Testament. Whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But who is that Lord? And it's revealed, it's Jesus, right? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And how do we know that? Primarily because of the sign of Jonah, which is that he died, and three days later he rose again, right? So Jesus is the Lord, the Son of the living God. And so the here we have this, this confession, if you will, that leads to salvation, that, that is a rock that we can depend on. Like, if, do you want to know, that, like, if you're looking for where's the party, you know, so to speak, where, where can I put my hope in, what do I look forward to in life? Jesus is saying, confess that I am Lord, <laughs> and I will take you to be a part of my kingdom, right? Confess that I am the son of the living God. Confess that I'm the Messiah, the hope of Israel. He is the one who provides entrance into the kingdom. And that is clearly important, right? Because uh, later on, Peter says this and, and repeats this to the Jews. He says, for there is, in Acts 4.12, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved, right? Peter's saying, look, there's no other name. It's not like there's some other person you can go to or there's some other God you can go to to receive salvation from death and sin. It's only through Jesus Christ. That's the only way it happens. And it's his kingdom that's repeated. Paul repeats it too, right? Colossians chapter 1, verse 13, he says, that is, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transported us to the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. This kingdom that we have, that, we're, that we can become part of as Christians, is a, a kingdom of forgiveness. It's a kingdom of redemption. And it's the kingdom of his beloved son. It's not like we receive redemption and forgiveness outside of being in that kingdom. It's a, it's a part of that kingdom. In Philippians, Paul says the same thing. Verse, chapter 3, verse 20, he says, For our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him 
even to subject all things to himself. Again, the, the, the authority that he has, the power that he has, the kingdom that he has is, is heavenly, and then he makes us a part of that kingdom. He says our citizenship is in that, is in that place in heaven. And, and why is that important? Well, I guess the question for all of us is, do we want to be part of the party, right? Do we want to have forgiveness of sins? Do we, do we want to have uh, freedom from death? Do you want that or not? You know, like, and the only way you get it is through Jesus Christ. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's the only way. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, right? And so, and so this is the confession that we, we make as Christians. If you are a Christian, you make this confession, right? Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He came, he died, he rose again. Give us forgiveness of sins. And, and it's, the, it's our joy, too, right? To realize we have been forgiven of our sins. To think back on, on the things that make us guilty, the things that, that cause us to question our, uh, our sense of worth and our sense of purpose and realize God has forgiven us. We've been redeemed. The, the joy that, that, that comes with that, right? I mean, just like Rick Cohen had that joy in a sense, but of, hey, I finally arrived at the party, you know, I finally figured out where it's at, but then to realize he's like 10 years late. Uh, how would you like to get to a party and realize you're 10 years late, right? You know, like there's been a lot of grad parties lately like, that we've been going to, obviously, for a lot of reasons. And, and imagine, imagine if you showed up 10 years late to someone's graduation party. <laughs> like, hey, I'm here. Uh, that happened like a long time ago, right? Like, I've already graduated from college, you know, I've got my career, and I'm finally showing up to the party. You'd be like, oh, shoot, right? Like, there's no party at all. But, and we laugh at that, but can you imagine living your life thinking, I missed where it's at? Like, I, I missed freedom from sin. I missed eternal life. I missed forgiveness. I missed hope. I missed joy. I missed love. Like, it was, it, I can never, it, it happened back there. It, it, it's never here, and it's never in the future. Can you imagine living your life that way? But Christians cannot live their life that way because they have been placed into the kingdom of heaven. They know they have been forgiven. They know, even if they haven't received it fully yet, they know that they're, they, have, they are going to be one day in the presence of their Savior who died for them and rose again. And the, the, the joy that we have with that. And what he says next is interesting because he then says, right, he says, look, the keys of the king, I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And he repeats that same phrase again in Matthew 18. If you turn over to Matthew 18, say, what does it mean? What is he talking about here? Well, in Matthew 18, he's talking about forgiveness again. In Matthew chapter 18, in the middle of the chapter, it's talking about uh, forgiveness overall, but in, in the middle, Jesus starts to address forgiveness specifically. 
And in verse 15, he says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you, that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, the same phrase there. Now, in Matthew 16, it's that you there is individual. Because in Greek, you, it's either individual or plural. It, it, you can know what, which one he's referring to. So in, in, in Matthew 16, it's individual. He's talking to Peter. Here in Matthew 18, he's talking, in a sense, the you is plural. And, and in, in a sense, refers to the church as a whole. He's saying, whatever you as a church bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And this, this idea of the keys of the kingdom... And in a sense, what he's saying, point number two that I just want to make here, is that the authority to preserve the confession is given to the church. The authority to preserve the confession is given to the church. We, we have a responsibility, in a sense, to recognize, in a sense, who has received that, that forgiveness and who hasn't. Now, if you say, well, do we determine who's saved? No, God determines who's saved. But in a practical sense, it, th- this is a reference both here and and then in Revelation, and in, it's a reference to Isaiah. Isaiah 22, God says that he will give the key to David's throne to, to a, a son of David who will be, a, in a sense, a peg, who will be an honor, who will stabilize the kingdom, so to speak. And it, he, he won't stabilize it forever. Ultimately, Judah will be removed into exile. But but the, the point is, is that the keys of the kingdom. And then Jesus, in, 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 his, uh, in Revelation, tells the churches that he has the keys to David's throne. And, and the point is that he's stabilizing the kingdom, by dis, in a sense, by, by committing, telling justice and saying, in a sense, uh, recognizing who has received forgiveness and who hasn't. And there's this, this sense of, of, of uh, you say, well, well, who's supposed to do that? Here it's not experts, it's not the, the pastors of the church, it's the congregation as a whole. If your brother sins against you, it's that family relationship and that citizen relationship that's there. And it's kind of authority by analogy, if you will. Imagine, right, like if I told one of my kids who can drive, hey, I want you to go to the store and I want you to, um, I want you to pick up a gallon of milk or out of milk, that's not too... We, we, we keep a large stash of milk so we don't ever run out. But, um, but you know, so, so if I go out there 10 minutes later after I told them to go run to the store and, get it, and, they're, and they're standing outside the car and they're like, well, I, I can't, I can't, you're like, why haven't you gone to the store? Well, I don't, I don't have the, the, the keys to the car. You're like, well, if I, if I told you to go to the store, I told you to grab the keys, and I told you to open up the door. Do I, have to, I don't have to tell you every step of the way to get there, do I? It's, a, it's an, uh, an argument by analogy, right? Like, you understand what's, what's the point? And, and practically within churches, why we have membership is to say, it's not to say, hey, we want to hold it over you. It's, it's more to say, look, we're going to rejoice together in this confession. We want to preserve what it means to be a Christian, because why? It's important. We don't want to let our light die. We want to let our light shine and say, this is what it means to be a Christian. 
It's not that you're a perfect person. It's not that you, you, you give a lot of money to church. It doesn't mean that you're, you do all these things for, for God. It's the fact that you confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. You know what that means, and you confess it. And we want to preserve that together. We don't want to let that die. And, and so Jesus here is saying, hey, you've, you've, my Father's re- revealed to this Peter, and, and you need to preserve it. And here, again, when it comes to sin, Jesus is telling the believers, hey, you know what forgiveness is. Why, why treat forgiveness as something that's not that important? Why treat forgiveness as, oh, yeah, well, we don't need to use forgiveness. We'll just tolerate sin. When forgiveness is so much better. I was talking with my discipleship group about this, right? A lot of times, we, when we run into a problem in a relationship, we often just try to excuse the behavior, right? We say, oh, well, you know, their, their past history. Or, I, I, no, they're just upset that today. Or, or you know, we just we give excuses. And, and there's a place for that, right? Because there's a lot of reasons why people do. But, but when it comes to something that would break a relationship, like he's talking about here in Matthew 18, he's not talking about someone who just, like, you know, cuts you off in traffic. <laughs> he's more talking about somebody that that is, is, is showing that they're no longer loyal to Jesus, their Savior. And they're doing it in a way that hurts you. Why would you be like, oh, I'll just excuse that, when you have something so much better? Because what happens, right, in relationship, if you, if you keep excusing things, what happens is you lock relationships into position. <laughs> You're like, I know your position, you know my position, we're both excusing each other, and there's no way to move it forward, right? Excusing things just locks things in. But forgiveness opens up this huge path of change and growth and delight in one another. Why? Because you can say, look, it doesn't, it's not, it's not like it doesn't matter, but it's forgiven. It's taken care of. We can move on, and we can, we can both change because we can recognize the problem, and we can say things about it that that allow things to change and things to grow and develop and and this is what it means to be a part of the kingdom to realize you know what god loved me enough to die on the cross and rise again so that i don't have to get stay stuck in my sins stay stuck in my excuses stay stuck in my life right now he died to rest me he died to forgive me he died to allow me to move forward into a new life. And so, in a sense, point number three that I'd just like to make from the passage here is that preserving joy in Jesus over joy in sin is the, joys, is the joy of the city, citizens of the kingdom, right? We're, we have this joy of, of forgiveness that we're saying, I don't want to rejoice in sin as much as I want to rejoice in the kingdom and what it has done for me. In Psalm 110, David talks about this, and Jesus uses Psalm 110 to, to prove his, that he is the Messiah. Verse 1 says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until my, I make your enemies your footstool. The Lord sends forth from Zion your mighty scepter. Rule in the midst of your enemies. Talking about the kingdom of the Messiah. And then it says this in verse 3. Your people will offer themselves freely on the day of your power in holy garments. From the womb of the morning, the dew of your youth will be yours. 
And it's just saying that first phrase there is saying, look, people will offer themselves freely to the king. Why? Because they realize what they've received, right? I realize I've received forgiveness. I, receive, I realize I've received, uh, I've received blessing. I re- realize I've received eternal life, and I'm coming to you as the king saying, what do you want me to do? Because I've received so, so many good things. But being a citizen is not always easy. We talk about different roles, and I could talk about, you know, that brother-sister role. But just for a second, what, that, that citizen role is interesting, right? Because being a citizen of this country is, uh, is an interesting thing sometimes, right? We debate politics, talk about it. We have elections every so often, and it seems like sometimes the election cycle is never done. But one thing that's true of, as being a citizen is that we don't always like what our leader is doing, right? I mean, we can complain, right? Like, you don't like the president? Well, one, you can vote him out in, in four years, but, but you could also just complain about what he's doing, right? Like, like oh, I don't like this. I, I don't like where this is headed. And, and in some ways, right, as, as citizens of the kingdom, we don't always like what Jesus is doing in our lives either, right? We can be like, I don't like this. I mean, don't get me wrong, graduations are a joyful time, but they also remind you of things in the past. And I was lamenting to my wife about a friendship that wasn't what I thought it was going to be at this time in my life, you know what I mean? And you're like, well, why is Jesus doing it? You know, it's just it's part of what he's doing in various ways, right? Like, I don't, I don't like all the times what Jesus does in my life. I don't always like to follow the rules either, right? And citizens of this country, we, we, uh, we don't like the rules. You know, we, and I could talk about classic ones like fee limits, but it, w- just one that, uh, just being transparent here, one that kind of tripped my trigger lately, just being a citizen of this country. Can I complain for a second? I mean, this is what we do, right? Uh, you know, I worked hard to, to keep my credit up, right? And so that my, you know, I get a good low rate on my mortgage and all that. And then, and then the rules changed in May, May 1st, right? Where, where all of a sudden, if you have good credit, you pay more for your mortgage. And if you have bad credit, you pay less. And I'm like, that rule does not make any sense at all. You know what I mean? I mean, that's ridiculous in my opinion. Uh, and, and so I, know, I complained to a few people, like, this rule is really, really, really I don't like it at all. Uh, and, and it's just, you know, say, well, you're, why are you complaining? Well, I'm a citizen of this country. I, I guess I can complain if I want to. Um, citizens of God's kingdom, though, right? I mean, the rules that were given are given to us out of love. They're thought out of eternity, right? Like, I get that, uh, so, this morning we were discussing our plan for the day, and one of the things that's going to happen is Ella's going to graduate from high school, which is great, but we were discussing the plan, and, she, and I, I said, graduation's at two. She's like, no, graduation's not at two, like, the doors open at, like, one fifteen. Why would they lay 45 minutes for people just to come in through the door? I'm like, because that's what they do. I mean, graduation's still at two. You know what I mean? Like, we don't get to say why things happen the way they do, right? They're just the rules are the rules. <laughs> graduation's at two. And uh, when it comes, the difference, obviously, between, oh, someone might view it in our world. Can we just thought experiment for a second? The difference between the way I might view the world and the way 
Annalisa might view the world are, would you say, there's a gap there, right? But the difference between the way I view the world and God views the world, which, which, one, which one's closer? Is it me to Annalisa or me to God? Wouldn't you say it's probably me to Annalisa, right? And, and I, I get that we live in a, a country and we're used to citizenship that means we get to complain about the rules. But God is king. He's not president. He's king. He gets to decide how things go. He, he made the rules out of love for us because he knows what's best for us. And if, if we're going to sit here as citizens and, and seek to fight the rules, we're, again, we're missing the point that God made the rules out of love for us and he put forgiveness as a part of the whole package so that we can delight in who he is and what he's doing in the world. And again, so sometimes as citizens, we need to remember that the, 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 the we, how we got here. I, I was thinking about being a citizen of the United States. How, how did I get here? Well, um, the Hatfield brothers at some point emigrated from England, probably close around the Revolutionary War time, you know, and, and, I, and then on my mom's side, there were some Irish that immigrated, there were some Germans that emigrated, and, and eventually they got married, right? And uh, that's, that's how I arrived to be a part of this country. Did I do anything to deserve to be a part of America? No, no. I mean, uh, I don't think my ancestors fought in the war. I could be wrong. I don't think they did. You know, I, I do know there's a famous Hatfield and McCoy kind of feud that's out there. You know, that we broke the rules a few times. Um, but uh, but do, I, do I deserve to be a part of it? No. How did, how did I get to be a part of the citizen of the kingdom of heaven, right? I, again, I did nothing. My Savior did everything. He went to the cross. He died there. He rose again. And he invites me freely to be a part of the kingdom by just confessing that he is Lord, <laughs> that he's the king, and I am not. And, and so when it comes to the joy of the kingdom, I think we have to understand that there's a joy in preserving that confession to say, you know what, there's so, it's so true. <laughs> This is, this is something that can get so wrong because we mess it up so often. Some, sometimes we get caught up in, and you see people get caught up in, okay, well, we've just got to follow the rules, you know? You, we really get into the kingdom by just following the rules, and they're all about how, how people follow the rules, and they want you to follow the rules, and, and, and it's, it's not about rule following. It's about the king. But it is about rejoicing in the forgiveness of the king as well. And so some people want to be like, well, this, there's no rules at all. Just do whatever you please. You get into the kingdom just because you exist. No, no, that's not the way it works either. You have to acknowledge the king, and you have to acknowledge the forgiveness of the king. Because we don't deserve to be here. We don't deserve to get in just because we exist. We deserve because we acknowledge what the king has done for us. Our kingdom is providing us forgiveness and a home in heaven. I guess my question to you, first of all, is how did you get here? Are you, are you a citizen of the kingdom? Are you? Have you confessed that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God? That he died and rose again for you? Have you asked him to forgive you? 
you have, then you're saved. And at the same time, we come together to preserve as a church that confession. To say, this is something we want to preserve. We want to we hold it true. And we want to come together. And even though sin blinds us, and it, it causes us to, to get deceived and, and caught, off, caught up in all the wrong things, we want people around us to remind us of, of what the confession is about. I mean, in Hebrews chapter 3, it says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. We, we want brothers and sisters around us, we want fellow citizens around us to remind us how we got here and what this is all about. We also want to rejoice in the King together, do we not? Hebrews chapter 12 says, See that you do, not re- you do not refuse him who is speaking. For they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth. Much less will we escape if we reject him who warns us from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth. But now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of the things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and let us let's offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. We, we delight in membership as just a practical way of making that, those realities a part of our lives. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot never be shaken or moved. Its foundation lies in the heart of God. His walls are eternal truth. This is the kingdom that we are receiving. And it's something that we haven't earned, we do not deserve, but Christ made on our behalf. A kingdom of forgiveness. A kingdom of grace. The question is, is it yours? And then, would you like to help your fellow citizens rejoice in it, to preserve it, to remind the next generation of what it's about? Because... In every generation, it only takes one generation to forget what this is all about. You see, Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That line of authority in Matthew 16 and 18 and Matthew 28 is repeated to remind us of what Jesus is trying to accomplish. He's trying to rescue us from sin and death, and he's, trying to, and he's, he's giving us a commission, once we are a part of the kingdom, to go and make disciples, to teach them about who Jesus is, to baptize them in his name. And he's going to be with us. He's the king is going to be with us. But he wants us as citizens of that kingdom to preserve that confession, to remind ourselves of the forgiveness we have received and to encourage one another against the deceitfulness of sin. So, have you received that kingdom? Again, it's not like you have to turn over a new leaf, live better for a couple months and then you can go to Jesus. It says, just acknowledge that Jesus is Lord, that he's 
the Messiah, the Son of the living God, who came, who died, who rose again, so that we could have forgiveness of sins. It's a gift of grace, right? It says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And if you have received that confession, are you seeking to preserve it? Are you seeking to help others to know it and to, and to, to delight in it and to rejoice in it? Because, right, we, we all get hardened by sin. We all get deceived by sin in various ways. And we don't want that. We want, we want to walk in truth and walk in joy because of what Jesus has done for us. Let's do that together. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your goodness to us in Christ. Lord, it's just a good reminder in some ways. Like we get caught up in the business of life and there's a lot of joy and graduations and events and summer planning and vacations coming up. All of those things are good. But there's one thing that is necessary. Christ came. He died. He rose again so that we could be forgiven of sin and we could be a part of his kingdom. Lord, we thank you for that. We want to encourage one another to delight in that. And we pray that as a, as a church body, as a congregation, we can encourage one another to live in the joy of what you have done for us, in the joy of your forgiveness. We thank you in your son's name.